This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Namaste, motherfuckers. Welcome to Namaste, motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy, and well-being collide. I'm your host, Callie Beaton, and this episode is called "Made in the UK by Nice People." It's widely believed that Oscar Wilde's last words were, this wallpaper and I are fighting a duel to the death. Either it goes or I do. Well, wallpaper has everything to do with this episode. Victorians were obsessed with vividly coloured wallpaper and in those days, wallpaper could and did kill. An average Victorian living room could contain up to 2.5 kilograms of arsenic, an ingredient that was used in wallpaper, rugs, furniture and children's toys. William Morris, the designer of the most famous wallpaper of the 19th century, was the son of the man whose company was the largest arsenic producer in the country and he used it to produce some of the vivid colours he is now famous for, refusing to believe it was bad for you. And many historians now believe that Napoleon himself was killed by arsenic-laden green wallpaper, although no one's specifically blaming William Morris for that. By the way, is this sound okay? It's really good, yeah. I'm really pleased you're on. Did you get a splitter, especially? It came today. Those are my guests today, Mark Hampshire and Keith Stevenson of Mini Moderns, an interiors brand specialising in pattern with a story and known, among many other things, for their beautiful, distinctive wallpapers. Rod Stewart lost his job as a wallpaper designer because he was colourblind. Who knew? And bubble wrap was invented by mistake when an attempt to create textured wallpaper went wrong. The only function of the first ever iPhone virus, which infected thousands of Australian iPhones, was to change the phone's wallpaper to a picture of Rick Astley. Yes, well, we thought that seems we've put such a drab backdrop behind us. <laughs> we all, the kings of pattern with the drabest of backgrounds. Keith and Mark launched Mini Moderns in 2006, specialising in applied pattern on everything from wallpapers to rugs to ceramics. They cite their influences as ranging from mid-century British textiles to vintage toys, from literature to childhood memories. And their Instagram feed is one of the most gorgeous things you'll ever have the pleasure of coming across. 
They produce in the UK wherever possible, hence the label on many of their products, made in the UK by nice people. And they've also been involved in some pretty cool collaborations, including with the Courtauld Gallery, the South Bank Centre and the London Transport Museum. The three of us talked about the 90s, Doc Martens, day jobs, side hustles, red or dead, reinvention, mid-century design, Instagram, Dungeness, and their childhoods in Yorkshire. But I started by asking Mark and Keith about their very fancy hallway. actually the hallway is it so yeah very jazzy so, isn't it yeah it's one of our top tips to uh to to make a feature of a of a drab uh featureless hallway um camouflage it do the ceiling as well so so the wallpaper Ooh. is all around both both walls and the ceiling can you do so that to transform a drab um small person as well or is it just to space <laughs> completely <laughs> dazzle it i think you have the cap fits <laughs> so that is um that is a small camouflaged space that's been made into a feature and that's your own wallpaper is it obviously it is, it, it is indeed who's yes, on the yes. wall what's the picture i can see on the wall that that was a bit of a, that was a it's a it's a crying audrey Hepburn, isn't it it's a um graffiti print by but, pure evil yeah who happened to be screen printing at one of the uh, trade shows one of did. the many many trade shows that we end up having to be at Oh, well, we'll put so, all links then to Pure Evil and all the, all the things that no doubt are going to come up. Um, and did you, because, well, I obviously have known you both. I say obviously, anyone listening won't know this, but we've known each other quite a long time since you both had real jobs, well, particularly you, Mark, because well, you and I yes. worked together. We had very important jobs in television, didn't we? <laughs> we did. <laughs> we were very senior. Uh, <laughs> Especially me. <laughs> well, we were both. I really, we, we, I really we were entry that level. media ladder. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> we were entry level people in, in a company called the Children's uh, Channel. And, um, and and you ferried tapes around, didn't you? Like actual proper tapes. Actual real physical tapes, sometimes by foot and sometimes in a van, the Children's Channel van. Do you remember which looked weirdly like <laughs> the, the mystery machine from Scooby-Doo? <laughs> <laughs> it did. And it, it was a cross between the, the, the Scooby-Doo van and an ice cream van. But either way, it did not look fit for work. We were the ones who transferred Bagpuss and the Clangers from film into digital form. I suspect we'd be heralded as the nation's heroes. Don't you think? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Cult so we, status. <laughs> so we, we knew each other back then when we had important things to fuck up in the world of television. Um, and then, so you, I know for a fact that you did have a boss at one point. And I also know that Keith had a boss because obviously the point of the podcast, among other things, is looking at uh, different ways people live their lives and have balance and stuff. So you both went from having careers where people could tell you what to do to doing your own thing. So, so there'll be lots of people listening who either because they've lost their jobs or they've just got mightily pissed off with what they're doing, who are thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind sticking it to the man and having a nice company that I run together with my partner. So, so yeah. tell us, how did you, you, you run a company, Mini Moderns, which we're going to talk about. Lots of people listening will already know that. But tell us the story then. So how did you go from having normal jobs in the media to doing your own thing? Okay, so we've got a bit of a so so we'll do a very potted history of uh, so so after I was doing all that messing about Soho with you, 
um, I then went off and I did. I, I messed about even more. And, <laughs> and, um, set up a designer maker job with 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 my friend Rob, if you remember. I do. And remember. we were we were making mirrors and things, and in 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 a in a little studio in Hackney. You charged me twenty five quid for a piece of papier mache stuff. <laughs> Which in those we days, got, listeners, was 170 pounds. We got we got better. We got we got to the point where we were selling at places like Harvey Nichols and 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 charging them 25 quid. That's as well. right. You should um, charge them that. So um, anyway, so I did all that, and then and then of course we made no money, and we decided that we couldn't. So that, so then I went and if you remember, got a job in marketing at Carlton Television, which was awful, and it was it was just a disaster. I really didn't enjoy it at all. That's because David then, Cameron worked there. Exactly. Yeah, we, exactly. Heard you, we, heard we, we were just, yeah. just picking up on, on, on that little gem <laughs> from a previous uh, episode. Um, so and then and then luckily my and I'm getting on to Keith's bit now. My French friend Emma said to me like, "Oh, you're absolutely miserable at this horrible carton place. Whatever." I'm doing a sort of French accent, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> I said, feel like a bit of casual uh, racism introduced to the yes, until exactly, now yeah, successful uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> so she said, "Why don't you come? I'm the MD of this uh, brilliant design company. You can come and you can work in some capacity. You can choose what you want to do." And it was literally that like that. I could virtually choose what I wanted to do. So I went and became a sort of strategy assistant at this uh, branding and design agency. And I was sitting, I, I, was, I was placed on my first day next to Keith. Over to Keith for his history before we got <laughs> my important history. Well, I, I worked um, doing graphics for fashion and I worked for Red or Dead and, and Dr. Martins and I previously worked for Pepe Jeans. And, um, and I kind of thought that I should grow up at that point and kind of get a job in a proper industry that um, where graphic designers kind of worked in branding and things like that as opposed to being something that supported the fashion industry and sort of do marketing and that but it was a big mistake because I mean <laughs> the, the best years of my life were like working for for Red or Dead I mean it was so and amazing. that's Wayne Hemingway who lots of yeah. people will will know um, and that sounds like again to lots of people particularly if we look back at I guess that was in the 90s that would have been like the absolute yeah, job was, everyone yeah. would have wanted yeah, I mean, I, I was really lucky. I mean, um, I sent off my CV kind of on, on spec and I didn't really know whether they sort of hired people like me because it was a fashion company, fashion and shoe design company. Um, and I think they might have been taken aback by a graphic designer applying for a job there. So um, it kind of all worked out. But it really taught us a taught me a lesson in terms of when we did set up our own business because it was independent um, and everybody did everything so it's really hands-on it wasn't it wasn't when Wayne had kind of when and Geraldine had sold um, Red or Dead and and it kind of became a much more corporate thing it was a it was a small independent business and it was um, yeah it was really great fun. But, did that um, give you a model for how to because again anyone who d doesn't know what it was like back then it, it did feel the absolute opposite of a sort of corporate brand it felt that it expressed a lot of what we all wanted to be and do in the in the 90s and did that yeah, you, absolutely. yeah did that sink into you do you think as a sort of because you think sometimes if I run a business I've got to choose between my left brain and my right brain and I've either got to grow up and be really sensible or and, and actually I suppose in a way they were doing both it was really successful but they were there was a lot of sort of fun and irreverence in it wasn't there yeah absolutely and it and it taught me it taught me that you could be both and um and so it was, it was really interesting. It was really inspiring. And um, and everybody was really switched on. They were all on the same wavelength, which um, 
it was it was kind of difficult when I then moved into the corporate world because I was surrounded by a lot of people who had no idea of references of anything and I mean some designers we've worked with can't even write so exactly it's quite difficult so when I did when I started um working at the agency where where Mark was um that, that was a really good place to work actually it was a really good transition for me it was just later on when things became very very corporate when when we both left that that company that um things started to just get boring in our lives didn't they yeah so, so did so, you, yeah go ahead so so, so uh, in 1997 we both end up sitting next to each other in this design agency and we kind of immediately started to have a bond over we we have really similar backgrounds we both grew up in, <laughs> in Yorkshire in the 80s we we kind of had the same music taste we had the same reference just all the same cultural references so what was it like it was meeting very, yourself at work was it like oh it, I'm it sitting was, next well, to myself it, it was odd because yeah. suddenly you kind of because you know you're you, you walk into a job all, with all trepidation of like I don't know any of these people and then <laughs> suddenly Keith came in. I'd I'd watched I'd watched that weekend. I'd watched Abigail's party um, on BBC Two. And or why something wouldn't like you? <laughs> and um, so um, I immediately came in and kind I forgot that Mark was starting new, and I was always late, always late, which I which, which, which is strange because I never I'm never late. I'm always too early. Um, I think and, there's um, you were four minutes early for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That was me. I've been sitting here for yeah, half an hour. in your Sunday best. <laughs> and um, and I walked in and started quoting, you know, you've got very beautiful lips and things like that. And I then looked around and there was Mark sitting there and was like, oh, like I have really created a very bad impression already. Well, of course, the fact is he created a really great impression. So I thought, oh, I watched that this weekend as well. But I, I, you know, I'm too shy to start sort of. You know, to start, to start joining it. in with the Mike Lee quotes. So, so I think we and in, in that kind of agency setup, what usually happens is that on any project, you need um, a, a creative director and a, and a strategy person to kind of work together and deliver the client something that kind of works. You know, it's a bit like ticking off left brain, right brain, so that they can see that you've understood their business imperatives and that they also, uh, and then that you've delivered something that visually satisfies that. So. We turned out to be a really good team because we've always sort of said that we're quite yin and yang because Keith thinks I'm a very creative strategist and he's a very strategic creative. So so we we, we sort of learned this and, and we found that just working together was was really fulfilling. So um so that was great because that felt like that that was a that we, we 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 quickly became friends and work colleagues and and everything just seemed to kind of you know like and we were working really long hours in that agency because everybody was really everything was quite um it was really labor intensive because yeah. it was it was you know we we had max but they still presented things on like physical mood boards so we still had to cut up magazines and scan magazines and and put together mood boards and there'd be hundreds of them wouldn't they yeah. was it like um, amp fab for anyone who can't get a picture on how that might have been was it <laughs> it's kind of amp fab mixed with art attack that sounds those perfect are... oh what contemporary references <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't worry Rich. <laughs> and mike's too old to know what to edit out my producer would be like i've got no fucking idea andy's not yeah. not from the uk so <laughs> this will be a minefield. We, we, we could describe it as craftivism. 
Okay, yeah, it was yeah, it was like a yeah, it was kind of crushing. Anyway, so um, and we so you went we quit- from sticking things on mood boards and chatting about Abigail's party. So you had a yin and a yang sort of thing that made you know that you worked together as a team. But that's quite different yes. to do that on the inside of a company to actually going out and trying to do it yourselves, isn't it? Yes, yeah, that's true. So I think that what we both kind of felt, and and, and the other thing is we were working for really big clients, you know, people like, um, I mean, companies like British Airways and uh, Airwalk, you know, the US footwear brand and and all sorts of really diverse brands that we were working for because we were, we were in Did America, it all have to have you know? air in it? Was that the main thing? It, only yeah. air, yeah. Only yeah. air yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> good, thank you for pointing that out. Um, yeah, where, yeah. Uh, all of that. Um, and we, uh, we, we, we were talking about things that we'd done in the past and I think Keith missed actually physically producing things and I yeah, missed the tangibility because we weren't um we weren't a branding agency that um actually took things through to the final stages of kind of artworking packaging and things like that we were very kind of um conceptual conceptual it was before people kind of in design agencies had people that kind of did concept things they got briefs and then they design some packaging. So we, we because we were kind of owned by an American company, um, they'd already started doing kind of conceptual consulting, hadn't they? So, so stuff that we wasn't really going of, on in the UK generally, so something they were doing more because it was an import yeah. from the States. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Exactly. So, so it was a great grounding in, in all of that kind of thing. But we, we um, but yeah, I think I, I, I missed making things like, you know, when I was making my, because I did go on from papier-mâché to start to kind of do things like casting mirrors and screen printing. Uh, I think we're all relieved to like hear that. that. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, and also I had in that former sort of, you know, uh, incarnation, I'd really sort of uh, got to grips with the whole marketing it to UK and, and mm-hmm. international retailers and all that. And, and anyway, I kind of cooked up this this thing and said to Keith, if, if you want to kind of like collaborate, we could do some ideas. Yeah, we could have started Mini Moderns then, but I kind of, I just didn't really want to do it by that point. Um, but um, the one thing I, I, I missed um, was... When I was at Red or Dead, we got, um, and I was at Dr. Martin's at the same time. It was kind of a split, split job. Um, and every, um, you know, every Monday we'd get sales figures. And so you could see what you'd worked on and how it had sold. Mm-hmm. So, and also I think there's a thing that we'll probably come on to later is creating something that actually people live with is really important to us. Like things that, um, kind of make a difference to, to sort of people's mm. lives really mm-hmm. and not just kind of you know advertising huge corporate um companies yeah so, so there was but, something more personal so you ended up setting up mini moderns in 2006 yes yes so but before that we set up we we kind of created our own little boutique design agency yeah because it didn't go straight to mini moderns did it no exactly so so we because we got all that experience in branding and design um we uh keith sort of set up uh absolute zero degrees which is still our parent company actually that's just just because of the that's how you set a company up isn't it you um and uh and had started to do some really interesting kind of retail and, and packaging jobs and things like that and i carried on working in various other design agencies partly because i knew that i was going to go and join him at some point and i just thought okay you needed the talking money. about 
Well, I needed the money. And also I thought, well, there's really good experience to be gained here yeah. because I, uh, currently I'm, and, and, and I went to work for one agency that just decided to send me everywhere around the globe. So that one, you know, one week I'd be in Canada and then they'd send me to our office in Israel and then they'd send me to Russia and then they'd send me, send me to South Africa. And it was kind of fun doing all the travel. And also I was, I was getting to, um, just just learn every aspect of running mm -hmm. a design business and, and and so all the kind of writing proposals and all that stuff that I'd never done before so I thought well, this is useful because at some point Keith and I might have you know <laughs> those clients that need us to to look a bit professional so so we were we were in the kind of phase of I was I was looking very professional at yes the time I know you were but like you need <laughs> and is it if you, and in terms of the um when everyone you tend to talk to who's done a big reinvention or their it's often about people's side hustle becoming their main hustle. So people sort of start building something up on the side of a of a day job, and then yeah. they start to, to it starts to get some sort of momentum. And I guess in a way you had so so Keith was out doing the side hustle as his main hustle, and you were still learning stuff on the job that was going to help you then jump ship. Is that kind of how it worked? That's that's how it yeah. worked. But but and then but then exactly to your point. Then um, so absolute zero was our but then became our day job. We were doing branding and design for kind of corporate clients and so on but it was your um, own company but it was our yeah. own company mm -hmm. so we'd we, so we'd made that leap to say okay we are now we're we're not dependent on anybody else that so we have to bring in our own bread and butter network or whatever the metaphor is i don't think you bring in your own bread and butter. no you, you spread <laughs> no, it and you eat it <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's anyway, for sure we, to, <laughs> we are the providers of our own bread and butter. <laughs> anyway, and, so, but, and then so then Mini Moderns was the, the, the side hustle then to us because, of course, we couldn't be just couldn't be satisfied with one thing that we'd, we'd stuck it to the man. We'd set up our own business, but then we still kind of we'd become the man then. We had to stick it to ourselves. <laughs> yeah, that's so tricky. We, yeah. Yeah. So, so we created Mini Moderns because we, we'd, we'd done a little competition and we'd, um, we'd uh, designed a, a wallpaper for uh, a, a little interiors boutique in, in South London. And we won the competition and then we got loads of press in, in our decoration. And you might have noticed from Keith, he's an absolute press fiend. You are, Keith. I mean, Keith, I, I know how to self-publicise. And I think on my tombstone, it will say, as a comedian, she was very good at self-promotion. Uh, but I think you and I might be, you know, you're very good on it. Yeah. Is it all you that does it? Do you, because anyone who, by the way, have a look at, um, we'll put all the links in the show notes, but have a look at Mini Moderns, um, particularly on Instagram. And it's very beautiful, everything you do, but you're very... Um, you're very consistent you, you don't seem to ever sort of drop the baton and just go fuck it I can't be asked to post anything for I think I think that like un, unlike a lot of um a lot of uh Instagram feeds that are kind of from like companies that are as small as us is um everything's real everything's true you know kind of um and I think that's what kind of appeals to our followers um is that you know we're always chatting about uh, like what we've been doing or somebody who's used our products and you know they 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 love us to use pictures of of their makeovers of their houses and things like that so I think it feels very real and I think that's why people really respond to it that's my that's one of my thoughts because it's into I, I always think in the stuff I put out on social media it is real you know I'm not pretending I was at whatever club it is or it's all real, but it's definitely just a side of like myself. So the side of myself that it's a real version of my life and myself. And because it's two of you and it's your literally your life. So you're you're taking pictures of your home 
your, where you work in London is your home and it's your studio. I know they're separate spaces, but within one building, you yeah. do lots in your in your place in Dungeness. So it's really your space and your lives and your business and everything's intertwined. Yeah, it looks on the surface like such a beautiful, idyllic existence. So have you kind of hit the jackpot or are you talking shit? That's my question. No, I'm <laughs> well, sure there's a bit between the two, but is there somewhere between, between the two? It, it's, be, it's between the two. I mean, like anybody who sets up their own businesses, it is it can be quite challenging. But then at the same time, you know, we're, we're not going to bed kind of shaking on a Sunday evening thinking I'm going to tell them tomorrow that whatever you know when you kind of lie in bed like really planning what you're going to say to somebody because they've bullied you boss. and you hate your yeah, job your so boss or, yeah. and you hate yeah. your job so um so we don't have that and but, I think but you're right to say that it's somewhere in between the two I mean you know that thing about you only clean the house when you have guests when you have no, that's just, I only uh, clean it when the cleaner's it. coming <laughs> well, yeah, well the, 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 yeah, exactly. but, so now, so now we, we only clean the house and, and, and tidy and make it look beautiful when either when we're having people around for dinner, which hasn't happened for no. about 18 months, obviously, or when we're doing a, a photo shoot. So, um, you know, but I bet you're we, not that, um, slovenly like knowing that well, your place in Dungeness. So um, it's worth so, some of our listeners won't know um, what where Dungeness is or what is so special about Dungeness we have listeners from all over the world so do you want to just because it is such an incredible place do you want to describe Dungeness where you have a kind of a, a second home converted railway carriage yeah I mean um it's on the it's on the Kent coast and um it's a little point that sort of sticks out into the sea and there's like a hundred um little uh, houses on it some are kind of original uh fishing fishing huts and some kind of um, Victorian railway carriages that have been turned into holiday homes as early as kind of 1920. Um, so we were really lucky because they never come up for sale and we just happened to be sort of in the area and we saw it and we kind of bought it. Um, there's also, it was, <laughs> just, to, just to add context, there's also a nuclear power station yes. right next to where that these little houses are so yeah, that little it, thing because that's quite distinctive the landscape either it's a real marmite landscape isn't it people really yes. do react strongly to it positively or negatively yeah it's quite it's quite interesting because it's so flat and it's got a shingle it's a, a, a shingle beach it was it was some people say it's kind of the uk's only official desert but it's not at all um it's um but it's a vast kind of um uh spit of uh, shingle that sticks out into the sea um and it's quite it's 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 quite um interesting because um the shingle reflects all the light it's really really impossible to take a bad picture at Dungeness because the shingle reflects all the light up so you always get really crisp beautiful pictures even even kind of when it's cold and it's and it's wintry and it's um, incredibly popular with photographers because what, what we should also say is that the the, the beach is just littered with the, the kind of remnants of a hundred years of, of, of fishing. So there are old boats that are just kind of decaying, decaying and, and, and old fishing sheds and huts. And there's, there's just sort of like really um, picturesque decay going on. So photographers just love it. It looks amazing. Picturesque um, decay sounds like my, uh, my, my subtitle for my next show. <laughs> <laughs> You can have that. <laughs> I like that. We might call this episode Picturesque Decay. Namaste, motherfuckers. 
So I remember my my two kids, Jake and Ella, when they were little, did when you were very early on in mini moderns, and at yes, that point they modelled for they us. modelled for you. And they, I think it was like range. Well, I said I think I know it was because we've still got it. It was ranges of crockery, right? So they were little sort of and the stuff that you've done. That was the kind of early days. But yeah. I'm really struck with your stuff. You said earlier on about it being something that makes a difference in people's lives and actually sort of being meaningful as opposed to something that feels a bit more about consumerism, which is perhaps where you were before in your careers. And it seems really influenced by, I wonder how much of it is influenced by your own childhoods, because there's a real sort of vintage, there's vintage toys, vintage fabrics. If we look at what you do on social media, there's a real feeling of bringing back that feeling that I guess would have been your childhoods and earlier than your childhoods. I know it's sort of yeah, century and I, you're not that old, but is, is how much of it is about this kind of nostalgic feeling? Well, it's on two levels, really, because um, when we when we going right back to when we first met at the um, at the design agency, the you know there was one thing that we did kind of sort of bond over was our sort of love of mid century um, furniture and pattern and things like that, and we kind of used to always make you know that in the in the 80s when we were in our teens, we'd make clothes from 1950s curtains and and things like that. So um, we did have a kind of um sort of feeling for for that kind of era in terms of in terms of design yeah um because you know you know how the, there's a, the, there's always the retro decades that kind of are for a particular generation so yeah. <clears throat> in that way that like you know the 90s is is really in now well I know, my daughter's it, mad for the 90s yeah exactly so <laughs> so and obviously that's tricky for us because we all lived it but but so when we were teenagers um you know the, the the cool thing to 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 look at was was you know jumble sale clothes from the 50s and 60s and all the cult tv that we watch that's one of the things that we do we we, we pattern we, we we kind of talk about our design ethos as pattern with a story and the reason for that is because we're kind of not interested in just creating yet another thing that is following a trend of like yeah so if somebody's putting palm trees on wallpapers at the minute then we'll do some palm trees on wallpapers because you know do, do, do the world doesn't there's other people that can do palm well, trees we on do not need another flamingo on a gray background i tell you <coughs> that is very true exactly. thank you very much and we um, also don't need any pineapples but <laughs> oh don't don't let's get into the giftware market that, that, that's, <laughs> that's a different that's a different yeah. ever since but, i worked um, on spongebob i can't look a pineapple in the eye so it's fine by me <laughs> may there never be any more pineapples <laughs> so you're but, trying to do things that aren't so you're not going along with whatever because even retro trends go in and out of the zeitgeist right so suddenly there'll be whatever it may be whatever sort of mid-century trend and everybody wants that so you've somehow got to stand out even within the market of something that is consciously yeah, British I mean, and, and retro. Hopefully. And it goes through the filter of, does it mean something to us? Does it kind of have a, is it rooted in some kind of, we love social history and we love the, the history of design and kind of sort of 20th century film, literature, photography, fashion, fashion, those, all of those things could be something. So we did a whole collection called The Buddha of Suburbia, which was I loved that because I absolutely loved the book and I loved the TV series too. So it, it's yeah. same here. And yeah, everything about it sort of chimed with us. You know, we, we're in South London, not far from those, you know, the, those streets that it, it's all kind of set in. And the whole soundtrack to that, both in the book and then was brought to life in the TV series, that whole kind of going from, you know, David Bowie to, to, to kind of to punk. Yeah. It was a challenge as well that, that we set ourselves because um, when you're creating a collection, um, 
one way that one unusual way that we work is we never sit down and start planning a collection visually at all we don't, we don't know what anything's going to look like but we'll just start saying words <laughs> <laughs> and, and we have shorthands for things as well which you we can come to but um and we just kind of said what about if we did a chronological wallpaper collection that was based on our book that went from the beginning of the book to the end of the book and then we just came up with Buddha of Suburbia didn't we, we yeah. kind of um started to work out per per print how we could sort of progress the story um through throughout the collection. Were you allowed to use Buddha of Suburbia did Hanif Qureshi come after you are you are you allowed to just use it? No but we we spoke to um somebody who's a literary agent and she said um you know there's kind of um uh, in terms of titles, there's no copyright on titles, so okay. we weren't referenced. So very someone, could you do the Namaste Motherfuckers wallpaper range and I wouldn't be able to say a thing about it? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you can say it's, it's you can already say in the planning. <laughs> well, that's very sad, I have to say. Did you see the documentary there about Hanif Qureshi that was the, um, am I pronouncing it right? Did you see, um, yeah, he came across as a bit of a dick and that was really sad. You know, when you absolutely love somebody yeah. or something and yeah. nowadays there's a lot of people falling from grace where you're like shit i, I love their comedy or i love their films there's no so he was a bit not sleazy i'm not trying to allege a sort of me too thing he just didn't come across as a particularly nice person in it i know i know we have this debate all the time every time we want to watch annie hall we're like kind of can we do this anymore <laughs> <laughs> well that's the pull quote for the episode sorted um and do, <laughs> and do you one of the things that i know influences you and obviously everybody's not been able to do so travel is a big part of what you do and where you kind of normally get your influences from and you've traveled widely you were talking earlier on in your job about how much you traveled before you left to go full-time um with absolute zero so how has it been for you trying to being in lockdown with your work partner your partner you're you're in the same home not able to travel I mean it's a wonder you're still sitting there in the same room isn't it (laughs) to be honest um when lockdown happened we didn't really notice the difference um we're kind of always here um and we've always I mean as you can you know we we work together in the mid 90s so late 90s um so we've worked together for quite a long time um and i think lived, that yeah i think so either either that either you can do that or you can't do it and if you can you know and if it you, was actually more unbearable when we got jobs where we didn't work together because we'd come home and moan about how stupid people were every night and didn't and when it's the us. two of you you'd know you'd be like well it's you and the other one would be like i know and i am stupid <laughs> So it's so you, you are like wallpaper to each other as well as designing wallpaper. So that's very <laughs> yeah. romantic. Yeah. Um, and is it so you both again? I obviously know you both um, reasonably well. But is there the idea of um, you're both obviously creative, albeit you know one of you more strategic than the other or not? But you very much kind of split. Mini moderns is very much you know Mark and Keith or Keith and Mark. But do you is, is there a side of kind of I know lots of comedians have sort of real tortured souls, and I certainly know since I become one it's not that it's made me more depressed or more it's just made me I'm now allowed to let that side of myself be seen I used to hide all of that all of that sort of pain and vulnerability it was just glossed over so I could be successful in corporate life is it where does that sort of side of the two of you sit is there a kind of side that's more complicated and not not as kind of picture perfect as what we see in Dungeness and on on the social media I think I think I think any anybody who um, has their own business or is 
you know, out on their own doing anything, um, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of quite exposed. So you, you know, you, you really feel it. And especially you, you can, um, you really feel hurt by things probably more than you, than you should do. Um, because it feels you know, personal. Kind of, yeah, because it does feel personal. You, I mean, even we do a lot of trade shows where we have to stand there, we, you know, and we spent three days kind of setting it up and in sweaty, horrible vans, like building things and kind of, you know, and then we have to put on the show and kind of talk people through things. And, you know, on the whole, you, you, you know this, it's kind of you could have a whole audience cheering on one person, you know, that doesn't like laughing very much um and you kind of and that it's that one person that you kind of go like oh and i like why am i letting that bother me um and it's kind of somebody only has to sort of say oh i don't really like what you do or i don't really like that whereas you know you've had hundreds of people all day going through your wallpaper books going oh i love your work and i really and i follow you on instagram and and we build up relationships with people through instagram as well so um but, but Keith, it's Keith's that right. one you, thing that really unfortunately you can have yeah you can have you can you can have all that lovely praise and loads of feedback and take loads of orders at a trade show but still the thing that rings in your head when you come back from from it is that one that one bit of criticism or that one slightly niggly remark that a buyer makes or something like that it's tempting our, our fav- yeah go ahead our, our favorite comment <laughs> <laughs> just, just as a, just as a, for a bit of like relief, our favourite comment that, that that people make, and this is a regular one, is that because um, there's a certain type of kind of Chelsea buyer, Chelsea kind of like interior design type person who is never going to find our stuff interesting. It's not their taste mm-hmm. at all. But they'll, they'll, so they'll walk past our trade show and they'll kind of like slow down and look at it all and go, hmm, gorgeous fun. <laughs> Gorgeous fun. I mean, not for me at all, but but gorgeous fun. I couldn't have that anywhere. I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't use any of this um, in any of my schemes. But it's gorgeous fun. And, that sounds and, like my and, Edinburgh <laughs> review from the Scotsman. <laughs> Maybe it's the same people. Yeah. I think it might um, be. So it's like you know, damning with faint praise. Um, it's hard not to take. You, I know that you know anyone who does comedy or performs will know that it's there's the kind of there's a cartoon that's kind of famous where a comedian that's out at an audience and um and there's the there's the real view what you would see of the audience and everybody's smiling and one person's not looking happy and then the comedian's view is a completely blacked out crowd with only one face and it's the person who doesn't like them and I do know that I have to really remind myself coming back to we're recording this not long after venues have opened live again and I'd really had to remember the first couple of gigs those things that I taught myself which is if there's someone scowling at you you don't need to convert them. You're not a missionary. You just leave yeah. them and go and work get, work with the crowd that likes you. And it, you might not be for them. And it's so hard. And then that's the face you'll remember. And even if 60 people come up to you after and go, I loved that. And then you see that one person sort of brush past you in the end looking fed up. You'll be like, oh, God, that was a really shit gig. That exactly. one person. Yeah. And you don't know what was going on in their head. So I guess. And is it so we've all chosen to do things that are quite personal. Right. So we've all we've all putting things out there in the world that are very much part of our personalities and very personal to us and do you think there's a risk also in terms of using so we're using social media all of us that's how we build our brand we love the adulation we love the people you know coming to follow us but then there is the risk that we are putting ourselves out there to to fall as well I mean we can't have it both ways right yeah I think that that, that's true but I mean nowadays you can't run a business without um uh 
using social media. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why um, we do put ourselves out there and we do, and it is very personal because I think if we kind of seem a, seemed a little bit more corporate um, or we had somebody doing our social media for us, then um, I think the, the, the essence of our brand is about us. So I think people would see that it was a bit fake. And then I think that leaves you open to more criticism that you yeah. would not normally get because, mm. you know, there's very few people out there that are horrible. Um, and it's it's exactly the same thing. They shout the loudest, but um, and they're the ones that you hear the most. But, you know, in general, um, in terms of social media, people are, you know, they want to see things. They're interested in things. How they upset want to... can people get about a plate in Dungeness? I mean, you'd hope, <laughs> you'd hope not very. But is it... Yeah. <laughs> I, I know I, I've got no idea and with the um and, and in terms of thinking about you loving what you do so you you genuinely obviously love what you do and you love all the stuff you create and it means something to you and it's personal and if anyone's sort of thinking about sticking it to the man and starting their own business if you if you were doing something that didn't mean as much to you if, if you'd taken a more cynical view and thought well this is what the market needs and we know we can make money doing this would it have lasted as long? Is it possible for people to more cynically set something up with a sort of an eye on the prize and without the personal sort of investment, do you think? I think it's it's very much horses for courses because I think that if you are the person that is driven by the desire to build a business and see, you know, see kind of incremental sales going up and, and then then that is that is the kind of business that you will that you will look to set up. And I think that don't don't get me wrong we, we, you know we're not we didn't just kind of like see how it went and and, and went oh it doesn't matter if we yeah. lose I the mean, house yeah no you had to, you had to make we, money we had to make yeah. money yeah but at the same time I think we both knew that because it because the whole reason for doing it was to do something that was more life-affirming to sound a little bit kind of you know um wanky airy fairy yeah um but you know a little bit well just more just something that we controlled and that could give us joy in our like moments plus plus allow us to you know put a white swash on whenever we wanted to and not have to worry about kind of you know sort of structuring your day around business hours you know what I mean all all of those things appealed I think think if you're trying to make a big life decision whether you can put a whitewash on at any time you want in the day and I'm I'm only half joking that to me is a big part of what you should decide on I would not like a life where I could not put my whitewash on when I want and I'm being totally serious (laughs) I think that there were a lot of businesses actually that started up when when we started and um you know kind of there there is that sort of competitive thing that happens and I would say that you know, we're, we've been around 15 years now. So I'd say that like two people, two businesses that kind of set up doing the same thing that we did. Uh, and there were hundreds. Um, and so I think that we've obviously done something right. And I think that it is by having such a personal relationship mm-hmm. with, with what we do. Because, you know, sometimes things are tough. And if you've gone into something cynically and your business isn't making as much money as you would, would expect it to at, at a certain point in time. If you didn't love what you were doing, you'd give up. And if you didn't have the faith, you'd just give up. Yeah, so yeah. Um, and go and do something else. And um, so you haven't really made the decision to stick it to the man and, and do something for yourself because you've just actually given yourself mm. the same kind of 
you know, awful. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that, I, I, that's not to, yeah, don't want to sort of piss on the bonfire of anybody who's thinking of doing it, because the thing is, you know, I, I think it's a very, very big step to take. And anybody that's got the the kind of drive and courage to set their own thing up, I just I, I just absolutely yeah absolutely you know, take my hat off to them because it, it it's because it will take over your life. It's it, it is it does become your entire life. Yeah, how do which you guess you don't have time off? I guess in terms of um looking at what you and I know it's the same with we've got all the flexibility and using the kind of put on put the wash on kind of metaphor. It's lovely that we can do that. But then there's never a point you don't sort of think, oh, it's six o'clock now. I'll leave the office and we'll have a nice evening off. I don't know about you, but I've always literally seven days a week, 24 hours a day. There's always stuff I I definitely could and possibly should be doing. And it never, ever ends. So how do you how do you keep yourselves? Because obviously part of the reason people may be it's um, Charles Handy's book, The Elephant and the Flea, which he wrote 20 years ago, looking at what life would be like now. And he was really, a lot of it was very, very accurate. But the idea that we're individuals, you know, we're the fleas and we're hopping around from elephant to elephant, from organisation or bigger group to the next. And when you think about how you actually manage to to do that um, and how you manage to then have a quality of life and a sort of sense of well-being. So how do you keep a sense of well-being when even when you're away in Dungeness and you're waking up and it's a lovely Sunday and it's the two of you and you just want to go and kick about, but then you're still doing a post, you're still looking at it from the outside in and going, oh, but actually um, we're going to do this for the business as well. So how do you make sure you have some kind of balance and well-being? I think, well, I mean, uh, Dungeness, in, you know, was conceived as a, as, a, as a thing. We were lucky enough to just be able to scrape some money together to do that 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it, we did do it as a bit of a kind of sanity thing because mm-hmm. we realised that living and working in the same premises, we we never ever stopped so the weekend just came along and just became another unless we you know unless we put something in the diary that meant that we actually had to drive to to west wales or something we and be with other people who wouldn't tolerate us working we would just work mm-hmm. so so dungeness was a way of kind of saying okay we've got this thing and you almost feel guilty having bothered to 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 set yourselves up with a with a second place mm-hmm. and if you don't go down it's a total waste so so it made us take some time off and to be honest and we don't have we don't have wi-fi there and we don't have um tv we've got a record player and the radio and um so we really properly do stop um and in terms of posts it's kind of just in it's just in in our kind of brand dna to to do social media so it it isn't really a challenge to do it's kind of so it's something you want to say posts. and you feel good about and yeah I mean I guess it's yeah. the same yeah when I do comedy posts and I do I am a bit strategic about what I post but I do do it it genuinely says something I'm feeling or something that's happened I'm not sort of bullshitting or it'll come to me and I'll be like oh that'd be a nice thing to say and I'm aware it might also be helpful to say it but I, it is yeah. also true so yeah. I guess it's a similar type of thing yeah yeah guys. definitely the same thing yeah and is it um I'm going to ask you in a moment the questions I ask all guests on the podcast but one thing I guess it's worth us being aware you know the point of the podcast is also that people kind of go away with ideas and think well actually that's something I might try and I love the fact that you guys got more ambitious in your reinvention you didn't go oh we'll compromise from what we did in our corporate careers and we'll 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 sort of just do a lesser version of it you went you went you upsized you took everything you'd done with you both and then you made something bigger and bolder and more you than you'd ever done before. I think I think that everybody um, finds 
whatever how, whatever age they are, whatever time they're working, find the same kind of opportunities and the same kind of um, difficulties. Um, for example, when Mark was doing um, the, uh, his designer maker business, um, you know, it, it's inconceivable that kind of when they used to have to do a photo shoot, they'd have to do a photo shoot, then wait for the prints to come back, then not, you know, not be able to scan them and not be able to have, to, have them all very expensively produced. And then, you know, it, nowadays you just send send off a PDF or, or you mm-hmm. do an Instagram post. But um, so I think people have different opportunities and different ways that we would think, oh, my God, like imagine mm. if that was happening when we first started. So but we had to take course, the long way around on some of the kind of content and production, I guess. But then some of yeah. the economics... I guess the fact that but, people can go more quickly to market now is, is is a benefit, right? So it doesn't yes, have to be absolutely. such a long, yeah. And also technology's changed. I mean, we, we, we're really proud that we produce all of our wallpapers in a traditional method. Um, and we kind of support um, our factory because it's all, all it's all made in the UK. And um, the tag on you know, all some, your stuff is made in the UK by nice people, right? Yes, we're not, yeah. we're not the nice people. You're not the, the nice people, people that we work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah nice we know people. you're not the nice people, but you know some <laughs> nice people. <laughs> but um, so we, we're really proud of, of the fact that, that, you know, our wallpaper factory's got like the, the third generation of kind of wallpaper printers there. But in terms of kind of getting something to market, you know, th- there was no such thing as like nice digital printing when when we started so um you know a lot of people who have started um wallpaper businesses now um you know they can have a collection of wallpaper that's really quite big because they don't have to meet the quantities that we have to meet by producing in uh, a traditional method and does Um, that mean your stuff's more expensive as well because you're producing in a Digital no, wallpaper is really expensive. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. No, ours is ours is ours is way more affordable. It's one of the things we 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 wanted to be a kind of um, you know a, a reasonably affordable brand. I mean, you know, we're not we're, we're not B and Q kind of prices, but but um, in terms of wallpaper, we definitely are you're not competitive. High, we're competitive. We're not high end, but we're, I think we're accessible. But the thing about the um, the thing about the property is really heartbreaking. I mean, we we, we had two assistants. Um, um, and the, the, the there was just no way that they could really stay in London um, yeah. because we we couldn't raise what we paid them to the um, to the rate of what their rents were going up, you know, every six months. And you know, it mm. it, it was just just it's just appalling, really. Um, you know, yeah, when, it means jobs like that go London. to go to kids whose parents happen to live in London. And I think location as well, because, you you know, when when we all graduated, the only thing that we could do is come to London to be able to start our careers. Whereas I think younger people that are starting their own smaller businesses can operate from anywhere in the country. And I think that's I think that is one really major positive thing that's actually come out of, um, you know, kind of a new technology and and, and kind of um, uh, social media and being able to get things um, you know and and setting up a setting up um an online store is really easy now and mm-hmm. you know even when we first started we had to go to somebody to be able to do all of that background work to be able to set yeah. up set a website up and now you just press shopify or big cartel and you've got a shop 
In so, your day, you were painting the painting the sides of the cave, and you were trying to kill the mammoths that were coming exactly. towards the cave, and it was very difficult. And people in the next cave were trying to get you out of the out of the tribe. <laughs> the, the people in the next cave were coming in and criticizing our um, wallpaper. Yeah, oh, gorgeous fun, not for me. Gorgeous fun. <laughs> Namaste, motherfuckers. What would you pick as your namaste motherfucking moment? Okay, so this one is a little bit convoluted, but I hope you'll bear with us. It's a three. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a, three it's a play tier. in three acts. Oh, because it because it can't because it's sort I'm of just going to go and get a, a cognac. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, but it, but it's a joint answer. You'll be pleased to hear. So it picks up on some of the things that we were saying before about this journey from being at the, uh, the uh, design agency to. So the first thing is, I'll paint the picture, it's at the second design. So not only did we meet working in the design agency, we went then went on to work for another design agency as, uh, you know, as, as, as best friends and a couple. And, and, um, and uh, one day Keith went into a meeting, you carry on. Oh, I, I, I'd actually, you know, Things don't happen by mistake. You kind of, even if you're not aware of it, and you kind of make things happen. So I, off the top of my head, decided to go in and ask for a pay rise for to my boss. And he said, oh, come in, shut the door. So I, like, asked him about pay rise. And he said, no, we can't give you a pay rise. And I went, well, I've got no alternative than to leave then. He went, oh, good, I'm leaving in two months. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So I walked out completely dazed and I walked up to Mark and went, I've just accidentally resigned. So, <laughs> so I, I slightly sulked at this point because I said, we, we got on a train from Greenwich this morning to come into work. And at what point were you never going to say to me, I think I might resign today? Anyway, I got over that. And, re- and so that was the point at which Keith had made the leap to set up the to set up Absolute Zero. Then uh, fast forward to um, I'm then, as I was saying earlier, I stuck around and did a few more, worked in a few more agencies to get a bit more um, experience. experience. And then um, and, and Keith and I, I was at the, the final agency I worked at. Uh, Keith rang me up. I'd just started there. And Keith said, it's really quiet there. Oh, it was awful. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. It's quite heads down here. He said, I mean, it sounds deathly quiet in the background. Um, I said, yeah. He said, oh, you told me that you had a queue of people just I said, there's, you there's, on the phone there's a queue, to there's a queue to of people waiting to ask me about stuff. So, like, I can't be on for long. He went, do you not have a laugh with anybody? I said, no. He said, does nobody there know you're funny? I said, I don't think they're even interested. <laughs> and Keith said, you've got to get out of there. You've got to get out of there. Anyway, I didn't just at that point until the third act, which is we were at Brixton Academy. Um, so we're probably another probably another 18 months after this now, uh, we're at Brixton Academy seeing Belle and Sebastian. And uh, one of our favourite uh, songs by them is, is uh, Legal, Le- Legal Man. Man. Oh, yes. and, the, and, and it ends with the lyrics, uh, which they sing over and over again. Um, get out of the city and into the sunshine. Get get out of the office and into the springtime. And we were kind of like, we were, we were doing that kind of peanuts, uh, uh, kind of like heads in the air, kind of like singing. And I just turned to Keith and he turned to me and went, you've got to leave your fucking job. <laughs> and I said, like, I'm leaving Aww. tomorrow. And, um, it's and like I, Brixton's and I, and Billy did. Elliot, this story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not dry eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and so that so that was it so that that's kind of so and like he said it was kind of like it, so it was it's a it was a namaste motherfucking moment that was 
kind of a long time it, in the making. Yeah. It, it was a serialization. It yeah. was. <laughs> and we'll put a link to that um that lovely Bell and Sebastian song. So no, it is, it's it's and it is that sometimes these things do take a really long time, don't they? From when you actually have the idea of what you're going to do to to actually fully being able to commit to it. And I think the main take out from that for anyone listening is just resign accidentally and see what happens. Um, <laughs> brilliant but best advice we've had on the podcast. So thanks guys. It's nice to have you on. Um and what are your um, what's each of your favorite joke the way we will <laughs> always be able to amuse ourselves or each other and certainly pick ourselves up if we're if one of us is is in one of those slight slumps that we were referring to earlier um is with a little bit of a a, a one-liner from victoria woods so can we give Ooh. you our fate our favorite Ooh, yes. victoria wood one-liner yes. okay. <laughs> so i hope i can do it justice so um she says um <laughs> I went, I went to one of those parties once where you all throw your keys into the middle of the room. And I don't know who got my moped, but I've been driving that Peugeot for years. <laughs> That's just got everything, I think. It's, it's got that, it's got that not to overanalyze it, but it's got that cosy, cosy kind of attitude to kind of like the, 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 the key party kind of wife swapping thing. And then, you know, and then you get the word moped and then just the, the vision of this, this <laughs> Peugeot. Anyway, so that, 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 that does oh, it. She's my, um, it's funny because whenever I think about, obviously, as you know, Joan Rivers was my entry into stand up, yeah. but it was Joan Rivers and Victoria Wood are the two people, albeit massively different, that I grew up. I didn't think of it at the time but it was each of them really being on telly and me knowing who they were as a little girl growing up in the 70s that made me know women could be funny actually so and I still yeah, can't yeah. get over the fact Victoria Woods died I know it's been a same while here. but same here uh, Desert Island Discs everybody if you have not listened to Victoria Woods Desert Island Discs you haven't lived I'll put a link to that in as well um so yeah that was a long caveat for what was actually a very lovely joke so thank you for that um and um this one to each of you if there's one bit of life advice you could give to anyone listening what would it be okay um oh well we had one but do you want to do the one that we prepared because i just thought of prepared that, that we thought was uh... well if this is you prepared lord help us <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well i think that um listening to 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 your other podcasts as well is kind of i think this if you don't if you don't find what you've chosen to do um, because it is, gets quite difficult sometimes. If it if it's not exciting and it and if you're not happy, um, you should you know you should be doing something that really makes you happy and and you know that um, every day you know why you are doing it. Um, but I, th- I would go even further than that and say like you have to be having a laugh. Yeah, I really think that if you're not having mm. a laugh, we we've had two assistants and 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 one of the biggest causes of anxiety at times that Keith's had to really calm me down is, is when like, you know, if we've had mm-hmm. a day where I've said, I don't know whether we really made Hannah laugh that much today. Well, I'd be like, kind of, we've got but, enough work to like, do. We can't make, you're not, your job is not to make our assistants <laughs> laugh. Namaste, motherfuckers. Those were my lovely friends, Mark and Keith. 
Every episode, as you know, I pick a thing inspired by my guest or guests that I am going to try. And this week, it's easy. I'm heading to Dungeness, where I haven't been for many years, partly to see if I can track them down in their oh-so-stylish railway carriage. Not in a stalky way, they've invited me. And partly to see if I can prove that it is possible to take a bad photo there. That's nearly it for this week, but listen up, motherfuckers. Now look, I love that you're listening to the podcast and I especially love all the messages I get from you telling me it makes you laugh, it makes you cry, it makes you genuflect. But please remember to rate it on iTunes if you get a chance, leave a review and tell everyone, and I mean literally everyone you meet, how great it is. Thanking you muchly. Namaste, motherfuckers, was written and presented by me, Callie Beaton, and was produced by Mike Hansen and Karu Shadami for Pod People Productions. Music by Jake Yap. So that's it for the show for this week. Thanks again so much to Mark and Keith for joining me. And we will be back in your feed next Monday, as always, when I'll be talking to comedian and presenter Matt Richardson. And then I remember going to do my second gig, which is at like some bar in Oxford, and it was an absolute disaster. I'm Callie Beaton. Until next time, motherfuckers. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.